the Filmmakers Podcast exists thanks to your support. If you'd like to ensure that we can keep on exploring the filmmaking world with you, subscribe to our Patreon. The Podfix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 291 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films to TV to everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. I am Giles Alderson and on today's show we have the exec producer and producer Yariv Lerner. He has made an array of well-known popular films including Angel Has Fallen, Hellboy, The Hitman's Bodyguard, Day of the Dead, Bloodline, Expendables, Rambo, Last Blood, The Dare. Yes, that is right. This is the man uh, that made The Dare happen. Not only Julian Kostov, but this man as well, Yariv Lerner. He is my exec producer of The Dare. He was the one who greenlit my movie, my debut movie, I'm Forever in Debt. But also, uh, he's just a great guy. And I actually love chatting to him four or five years later maybe six since i first met him and pitched him the idea of the dare and we chat about it we chat all about how that came about why he picked the dare why he picked me to be one of his films that he made at the studio and he does run he is ceo of new Bayana studios it is one of the leading film production houses and post-production studios in Europe. If you've not checked it out, do check it out, New Bianna Studios. It was such a delight for me to sit down and chat with Yariv. It really was. And he said so many nice things as well, um, which was also very pleasant for me. But that aside, he gave you so many tips and tricks about how to pitch to a studio, how to pitch to an exec, what he looks for in filmmakers and what he looks for in scripts. And we talk about Film Forge, his new platform for upcoming filmmakers that he has set up to help filmmakers uh, at New Bayana Studios in Bulgaria called Film Forge, uh, where they do courses for makeup artists, for grips, for gaffers, for production designers. It is amazing what they're doing. Check that out. Website link is in the show notes. Uh, Yarev also talked about what it's like to run a film studio how he deals with problems. And this is really interesting. It's when a producer should step in on set and what's the difference between producing a movie and exec producing a movie and how he handles disasters. Uh, <laughs> that's all coming up for you on this week's Filmmakers Podcast. How are you? Are you all right? Is everything going well in your world? Is it? Or are you struggling? Like most of us, we do struggle. And because even though... It sounds on the outside like a lot of people are doing well. You know, the Instagram life, you know, a lot of the hosts on the podcast, we have films coming out all the time. But that doesn't mean we didn't struggle. We still struggle now. And we certainly struggled when we first started. Like I say, it's, I've said this many times, but in case you missed it, it took me 10 years to make my first film as a director. Banging my head against the wall, trying to get stuff made, going down the wrong paths, go meeting with the wrong people, collaborating with the wrong people and I wasn't ready I wasn't good enough and I think I wanted to share that with you so that you didn't worry so that if things aren't going well for you now they will just 
believe in what you're doing, believe in your script more than anything else and make it the best it can be. Believe in you as a producer or the script you hire in or the director you want to work with. And it's so important you find the right team because if you do that, the world's your oyster and you're so much stronger in numbers. You know, find someone who believes in making films as much as you do. Find someone who wants to write that passion project as much as you do. That's when you strike gold and hold on to them for dear life. If it's not working out and you feel that you're pulling in different directions, it's okay to let go. It really is. But believe in yourself and you can go out there and make your film. I was, I was gonna say lucky. I, I, I believe that hard work brings you luck. And the day I was, it was tough to make. I was definitely a different director now to who I was then, but that's okay. It was a big studio movie and I was shitting myself. <laughs> I was gonna fuck it up. Of course I was. No, looking back now, I should have relaxed a little more, but I worked so hard to get that luck. I worked on my ass off, constantly trying to meet the right people, constantly pushing my project out, talking to people, working on pitch deck, working on how to talk about the movie in the right way. And that's important, getting people hooked. And the dare had a great hook. It still does have a great hook. It's an easy sell. And everyone I spoke to went, oh, that's commercial, that's a good sell. And I think that was a lesson because it's easy to want to do a drama. And you can, of course, go out and shoot one, right? But if you want to make something that's a bit commercial where you make a bit of a splash, you, you might have to make a film that isn't necessarily your wheelhouse. You might have to think outside the box to get it made. And I want you to start doing that. Even if you've made films already, because we all struggle in this business. We all like, you know, right now, I'm like, what's my next one? What am I doing next? What is that for me as a director? And that's really important. I know what I want to do, but how am I going to make it happen? How am I going to get that into the right hands? How am I going to raise the money for the other one? How do I do that? And I'm constantly challenging myself and pushing myself to do that. So it never stops. It's always like that. And I know some big directors who've made Look at me, I wasn't named off it, but big time. Uh, no, I know some big directors, I do. I've done this podcast, I've been around a bit. I know big directors and they all say the same thing. It never gets easier. In fact, it gets harder. So when you're starting out, don't panic. Don't worry about it. Just keep working hard, keep believing. Find the right people, wherever you are in the world. You're more likely to find your investors in the smallest town in the UK or in the smallest town in Belgium than you are in London because you are unique. And you have to remember that. And for those of you writing your scripts at the moment, we are acting with Q Scripts. They're great. They offer script editing services, one-to-one -one Zoom sessions, stuff like that. And at the moment, it's three months membership for free. And actually, annually, it's only £60 anyway. Link to that is in the show notes. But just, just cool people and really help you get your scripts as strong as they can be and that is so important okay so i'm literally weeks away from the stranger on our bed coming out to my directed third movie and then a week later my directed fourth movie wolves of war comes out when it rains it pours in a good way it's like someone put the huge water bowser on me and went yeah you can film in that brilliant yeah they're both out within a week of each other yeah i'm being greedy but i would love your support if you fancy watching them they are out links i'm sure will be <laughs> in the show notes and i'll be shouting about it on my socials so uh i'm very proud of everyone who worked on them i'm immensely proud some people behind the scenes who can't even 
mention who worked so hard with me on this film and I'm forever grateful on both films and I think that's what's really cool is finding those really great collaborators you like working with who can help you but the team on both these films were amazing I miss working on the films both of them so anyway Stranger Enough Head I'm sure I'll be telling you all about this because on next week's show or on a show coming up very soon will be a Stranger in Our Bed special uh, and then the week after will be Wolves of War special but you want to know right you want to know how we did it right okay great because you can't answer me but I'm telling you, you you're going to love it we're going to get the DOPs because there's two of them as one for each film <laughs> Lucinda will be on because she produced Wolves of War uh, Terry Dwyer Dean Fisher who produced uh, Stranger in Our Bed I'm going to get some of the cast on as well we're going to have a, a right good natter uh, we're going to try and maybe see if we can get costume department art department etc so you can really find out what it was like we can all have a good chat kind of what we did with The Dare in the Past and with Arthur and Merlin as well if you haven't checked out those podcasts do we really dive deep and we're going to do it again so for now uh, this is my chat with the person who kickstarted it all for me and actually got my debut movie greenlit he put his money where his mouth is it is the fantastic Yarev Lerner enjoy hey there we go yeah nice. how are you I'm Gary I'm good I finally got through our tech we did we did yeah. we've both had yeah. tech troubles there trying to get this to work uh it's lovely to see your face you look happy you look smiley oh, oh thank you it's a good mask <laughs> that's how we do it right it's filmmakers yeah. it's how we do it yeah inside we're <laughs> whatever, whatever. Outside. but outside yay it's all great it's all great Life is wonderful, yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly isn't that weird how we do that though we do this yeah. whole pretense we've been trying to talk on the podcast a little bit about that you know in that terms of why do we do this? The whole mental health side of filmmaking. And it's so important because we do, we do this whole mask and pretend all the time. Yeah. It's our persona, our personality that we put out. Mm. Like uh, someone asks you, how are you doing? Fine. They don't really want to know. And you just say fine. And we move on with our mm. lives. Well, it's it. it depends who you're speaking to, because if it's a really good friend and they say fine, you go, nah, you're not. Are you? yeah. <laughs> or they go, right. You don't want to talk, but yes. Or the other side of things is like, how are you doing? Fine. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm fine. Are you sure? <laughs> she don't look fine. <laughs> yeah, especially for you, because you're like walking around a film studio all the time and being yeah. the big cheese as well. People must always sort of be like, hey, Yarev's here or hey, Yarev. So you've got to constantly put on this face, like you say. I feel like I'm on the Truman Show <laughs> because like, really? I often notice I walk in the room and there's like this, they, they're aware I'm there. Maybe I'm just paranoid delusional, but I feel like they're aware and they're waiting for me to say something important. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, you know, I'm just walking here. I'm just walking here. <laughs> it's my studio. I can walk here if I want. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> but no, you've got, I do remember there was the two times I remember you on the set of the dare in terms of vividly. And there was one moment where I was stood and I was directing uh, young Mitchell and I just felt this shadow in the doorway. And I was like, who the <laughs> fuck is blocking the light? <laughs> Yeah, who's in my headline, motherfucker? Doing a Christian veil. Yeah, yeah. I look up and it's yeah. you, and I'm like, oh, all right, you can be there. And it was just, you can yeah, be you just get the producer off the set. <laughs> <laughs> Why is he here? Who invited him? No, it was, it was yeah, it's, yeah. that must be quite amazing that you just sort of can flit around and, you know, must be it must be something quite amazing about running a film studio there must be so, I, I imagine it's got so many troubles but let's go with the amazing thing first it must be special stick with amazing <laughs> yeah. yeah that's right uh no i feel like my job is often like pushing boulders uphill mm -hmm. 
And once they're in the top of the hill, you just let them go and do whatever. And then you're there on the other side to catch it. But that's, if I'm involved in something, I sort of fall down the rabbit hole of getting involved in it. And then all the other things fall apart. So uh, it's like a game of like um, corporate whack-a-mole. Yes. Where you just got to take problems as they come and just take them down. And then the next one will come. Mm -hmm. That's what running a film studio is like. Right. Have you always been good at that? Because you're, you're very good at it. You know, there's no question about it when... You know, I was there. Yeah. So no, I haven't been good. I had to learn because uh, I, I came from a company where I had an online yoga streaming company called Adaya, and it was me and four other people, and I was very involved in every level of decision making, and from the packaging to the presentation and how we're filming it. And then I come here, and I have four hundred people, and I try to run it the same way. But I realize if I'm going through one department. All the others are needing the help. So my, my uh, the delegation, I had to learn a lot. Mm. And man management, I imagine. Yeah. Because you, you've got yeah. to put your metaphorical round arm around people and try and G them up or say, it's okay. Especially when you don't know if it's going to be okay. Yeah, you don't know. I mean, it's okay. And like, no, it's right. fine. <laughs> <laughs> We're fine. We're fine. Like I say, it's fine. But who looks after you? then in that sense, because you're, you're looking after everything and looking. Yeah. So the thing is like, um, what I've had this habit is like, so I ask people how they're doing and when they come and say, how are you doing? I just say, I am <laughs> because some parts are really good <laughs> and other parts are not so good. And, uh, yeah, there's really no one cause everyone wants to get to the top of the mountain, but then, you know, beautiful view, but you're alone. So there's really no one there to look after me, but that's okay. It's, it's kind of part of the job. Right. Did you know that going into it? I mean, I know you didn't know that. No, didn't know. Just figured it out on a, on my own. Right. Yeah. Right. How did it come about then? I suppose it's really, I think it's fascinating how anyone, like you say, you're at the top of the mountain, literally, and there's a huge yeah. mountain next to the studio, New Boyana Studios there in Bulgaria. Yeah. The top yeah, it's beautiful. beautiful. I know. I tried to get to the top of it and I didn't, but yeah. we got close. Um, how was it, like you say, that? understanding of that and uh, how did it come to you i suppose in the first place so the the business was actually a family business it was my uncle my father and two other partners trevor and danny and my uncle danny was running in a studio uh, around you know 2006 when we got it he basically did all the movies for millennium mm -hmm. and i came here around 2011 with a yoga video and i just came back and forth from la and i did little bits and bobs of the departments so i went into camera i went into dit i went into post and then, you know, Expendables 3 comes around and I got the job for the making of video. Mm -hmm. At that point, he was diagnosed with melanoma. So he was going under through medication. And so I kind of started working with him a lot closer on a producerial level mm -hmm. where he was kind of the face, but I was doing a lot of the work behind the scenes. He was just having me type all his emails and stuff just because he was super tired at the time. And he went back for treatment to the States and I just stayed here and ran the studio from then on out. So it's kind of like... Um, mm. Yeah, yeah, not by design. No, fell into uh, it. Yeah, fell into Which it. Which is amazing to go from sort of, you know, producing yoga videos to suddenly running a film studio. Yes, uh, uh, common path. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that common path that everyone goes down. Yes, that's what they all did. Yeah. Bob Town, they all uh, did I that. I like the joke. Uh, <laughs> that, that was then and this was now. Yes, oh, very good. That's nice. Yeah, um, yeah good right. yoga puns. See how many more we can get in yes. by the end of today. Oh, sure. <laughs> uh, sure. What, what was it that first... I say the first sort of initial, oh my gosh, I'm running this studio. And at the time, 
and 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 this is all kudos to you. I'm not sure it's it was as successful as it is now. I know that you know Millennium were bringing stuff in there all the time, like say making Expendables. Yeah. But I, from my recollection, it was doing okay. But you came along, and now look at it. If it seems like it's thriving, is that is that correct? Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't want to take all the credit. There's a great team here. <laughs> uh, alongside and i just kind of opened the doors and let them do more because uh as i said my uncle's running the studio but the studio is servicing only millennium mm. projects and we did three or four a year and that was it so it was very constricted and the millennium projects were helping to build the studios at a low and the uh a low rate but the thing that i looked at is i said okay we have a factory here movie making factory how can we do more and I figured we were at about 25% capacity. So we opened the doors to a lot more productions. And that was my focus is to bring other productions in. And so, you know, we just finished a great one with Disney, which was kind of the cherry on the cake to get Disney in oh the God, studio. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, we, we shifted. So now we're like 75% uh, other productions, 25% millennium. Yeah. Which is amazing, which is really, you know, well done and hats off to you for doing that. It's just pretty, pretty impressive. There it is. Hats come hats off. off. It's the film forge hats come <laughs> off and back on again. Yeah. How do you create work? How do you bring work in? Like you say there, you, and then this will be interesting as well for our filmmakers is in how do they present stuff to a studio to say, hey, we want to come there. And obviously you're a servicing company as well. So you're there to provide studio space, camera hire, teams, uh, mm -hmm. crew, all that kind of stuff on the floor, on the ground in Bulgaria, in the studio there. But how does it work in terms of, yeah, tell us, talk us through it. I don't want to cut you, there. but initially, I mean, look, look at the project we did together, the dare. Mm -hmm. That was something we did very early on because there was a gap in the schedule here. Uh, I, you know, our good friend, Julian, introduced Julian Costa, us. Amazing. Yeah. Costa, yeah. Introduced us. You know, I, I said, okay. Uh, at the time we were doing this movie called the, the day of the dead, which was a remake of a remake of a remake mm -hmm. and the rights alone were $600,000 just for the rights of that movie. Wow. And so I thought to myself, okay, what, what if we did a movie for less than the rights, which was what the dare was. It was a bit of an experiment. I mean, you had a great uh, network of actors, which was key. You know, mm -hmm. we brought in some cool actors. You had a vision, uh, the script was there with you, you wrote. And so in that gap, we just, I gave you the studio services, uh, we, and we paid and raised the money for the crew, which was, uh, I think at the end, we ended up $385,000 was the whole start to finish. Wow. Which, which isn't saying that you should make a movie like that, because remember, we had a location from uh, uh, one movie, uh, a little yeah. set, a first time production designer who forgot to uh, build the doors big enough to get the camera in. <laughs> By the way, Chris, Chris is doing great now, but you know, he's cut his teeth on the movie. So yes, yeah. I remember that day. Uh, yeah. So we had a lot of things. I do remember on the first day of supposed to be the first day of filming that uh, Adrian Brody was also shooting at the same time with his yeah. film, um, which you, you were yeah, involved in. Yeah, we were on in. the tail end of that. That's right. We were the tail end of that. And we, it was my, like say, the only day or one of the only days outside. And uh, at this set, we built this sort of facade and I got told the day before, oh, yeah, you can't film there anymore because Adrian Brody's going to be shooting just next door. <laughs> exactly. In a forest? What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. The, that's like 300 acres of forest. And we picked the one location <laughs> next that to he'd got. Yeah. So, yeah, I remember that running around the, the, the day yeah. before, literally trying to find somewhere that would work. But that's all looking back now. You know, that, that was all part of it. And it was all part of the process of yeah. becoming a filmmaker and getting better. You know, it's my debut movie. And I, I will always be grateful. And I'll always 
you know, oh. bottom of my heart, thank you for taking a chance on me and my project and Johnny Grant who wrote it with me and Julian. And, and that to me has always amazed me. And I always kind of wanted to ask you why. And interestingly, you said a second ago, because it filled a gap. Now, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's, it's like also, uh, I, I liked you. I thought you had a good vision. I mean, it wasn't just a gap, you know. Yes, yeah. there was that. But uh, there was there's many people that come to me uh, with tons of projects. Yeah, that's going to say so many people must. So why me and why ours? And that, I think that's interesting for our listeners. And why why can they get their projects made too? Well, you're you were very passionate at the time about the project. You had a strong vision, which I liked. You uh, were enthusiastic about the whole process, and you're flexible. You had all these things together going for you that made it, you know, seem. And it was true that you were going to be good to work with. And and th those are the elements I'm looking for in filmmakers. If they if they really have a vision, if they have, if someone comes and says, "Yeah, I'll do whatever you want," you know, I, there's no vision there. I'm I'm not interested. Someone's got to fight for their films, and yeah, you had to fight for your sets. You had to fight for equipment, and so there was a lot. There was a lot you were bringing to the table, and and. Uh, kudos to you. you you took that and then you went on and had a career and now you're you know you're directing other movies which are which i'm proud of being a part of that beginning uh there's a saying in hollywood that says no one lets you make a movie until you make a movie mm -hmm. so yeah. that was the movie that's and and funny enough I, I don't know about your other movies but i feel like the dare at the end was super successful mm -hmm. i mean we we gave it away to our distributor in belgium and they keep calling and th thanking us and saying, oh, we did so great on the dare. We, they were, they took the risk, released it theatrically mm -hmm. and they did great. And made a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. We we're happy for everyone. It was a yeah. good, good risk. Yeah, it was a good risk. And, no, I, and I appreciate you saying that. And it's really interesting to hear because I've told this story a few times, you know, doing talks and events and people always ask me, how did you get your first film made? And I always describe you and I describe how it happened and I always say how grateful I was. But my answer was because I gave a shit. I was passionate and I mm -hmm. and I, I believe that Yarev liked me enough to take a chance to work with me for, you know, potentially five years, which it was in the end until we, yeah. you know, some territories didn't release for that long. And, and I always say this, you have to like the people you're working with, because if you don't or you get into arguments or you get into problems, you've got to work with them and you've got to talk to them and then causes problems. Totally. Yeah, we don't see eye to eye on everything, but you have to have a deeper understanding of who the person is and appreciate what their end goal is. Because if you feel like we're both wanting to make a good movie, then we're okay. We might argue in the middle, but we both have the... But sometimes you get people who are more interested in their own vision rather than making a good movie, where they mm -hmm. become, they come in front of the movie. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, there's a couple of things I'd say on, the, on that as well. I remember fighting for uh, Andrew Roger, my DOP, and I remember fighting for Richard Brake. And I remember thinking, how am I going to do this? How am I going to present this to you? Because you were the, you know, you were the person who signed the checks. You were the person who ticked the boxes on anyone who I wanted to employ. And I really wanted them. And you were saying, well, why? I could get someone from Bulgaria. It's cheaper. Or I can do this. Yeah, yeah sure. Tell yeah. me why. So yeah. I did. I presented to you both of them why in separate uh, conversations, why I wanted them. And after I'd done that and given you literally clips and scenes and why they're going to be great for the part, you then went, okay, great. Yeah, because you were right. I, I <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that was that was so nice. And I think it's a lesson as well for people who have 
I think frightens is the wrong word. And again, when you've got your vision, you shouldn't be so like, this is it. No, everyone's got to listen to me. I'd have listened Absolutely. to you. If you'd said no, after I'd pitched that, I'd have gone, fair enough. I tried. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's why it worked. And I think that's why in any relationship, filming or in life, you've got to have that balance. You have to put the movie first. And if you have an idea and it's mm -hmm. better for the movie and, and you can explain it and I, it's understandable, of course, mm -hmm. find yeah. the way to, to do it. Yeah. You, know, you can't have everything. Where would you put it? But some things are important and other things are not important. What I've learned is like uh, each department feels that they're the most important department on earth and they yes. should. <laughs> they should, and, yes. And and then you have to make decisions is where, where should we invest in? Is it the wardrobe, the, the set design, the, the camera, the sound? What, what, what makes most sense for the movie? And um, I remember specifically with Richard Brake is uh, I remember you were pitching his his gravelly voice and his persona and how he could sell the part without even trying so that was made a lot of sense to me mm, there you go it's, yeah. it's really interesting hearing it back from the other side like four five six years later however long now that was but the other thing that was really interesting about that is we shot a different beginning and an end to the dare than yes. the one that's out there and that was a tough moment for me and i remember you coming to me and saying look this is the beginning and end of your movie you have you could yeah. put this out i could put this out for you no problem we can put it out yeah. but will we be behind it will we push as hard with the studio will we you know champion it or do you want to do have a relook at the beginning and the end of the movie i remember me and johnny went away and went oh god how are we going to do this and and you were right at the end of the day it, you know, it opened it up so much more. It gave it more scope. I mean, yeah, I could have stuck to my guns and said, actually, this is what I want with this movie. And I want the ending to be bleaker than it is, if yeah. you like, if it could be any bleaker. And, you know, and I think that's interesting because me and my side had to go, okay, I'll, I'll take this one because yeah. I want you guys behind me. And as a team, you're saying, Charles, you should really do this. Okay. All right. I'll so listen. Yeah, the process that we go through, like, obviously, you want to give the director every freedom possible that it's their vision. Mm. But then, then you got to show it in front of other people and people that are not involved. And, and we did that. We showed it to various test audiences. And everything that they said to us, because we're, we're so in the thick of it, we're in the middle of it, we don't see what other people see. And they were, they said, Oh, it could be great, but it's good, but it could be great only if and we thought, okay, let's try it that way. And then when we tested it back to back, the audience were right ultimately. So you, you have to have respect for your audience. It's like going to a restaurant and saying there's no salt on the table. Sure, mm -hmm. there's some chefs that do that and yes. they throw customers out. But how long does that <laughs> restaurant last? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good metaphor. And, and also it was brave of you because it would cost more money. To, do, to reshoot that it beginning is. and end would cost you personally, your studio, more money. So that was always something I took on board as well. The fact that you were willing to put in, you know, it's a decent chunk of money that as well. You know, it was, yeah, it was 60. Yeah. There you go, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. compared to what it should cost but well compared to what it should cost it's millions yeah. but yeah because you run the studio and because but still putting that much money in is it's a, it's a risk it's kind of like okay well uh so and i always appreciate that and i think that's really what turned me on and we've still got the other 
beginning and ending, which will be on the... Oh, re-release the day. <laughs> the, the re-release. Well, there's a Blu-ray coming out in um, yeah. at Halloween. So yeah. it's, it's going to be on there, the yeah. original, uh, which which was also said because I br- brought a load of actors across for that intro, for that first part, the opening, and we brought yeah. a load of people and we had to cut them all out. So it was like, oh. Yeah, it was a bit of a bummer. Yeah, it was yeah. all your best friends and stuff. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I had a similar situation when I was 12, actually. I was uh, in a movie called King Solomon's Mines and I was a little kid running away from a lion and uh, it was a big scene for me and that summer the movie was cut and presented as a premiere and I brought all my friends to see the movie and I was cut out of the movie it was my dad's movie and he didn't tell you So wow, that's my my first realization that uh, that I'm not going to be an actor. (laughs) I love the fact it was so cruel they'd even tell you. Yeah, bring all your friends to the premiere. Don't worry about it. (laughs) And that next year was brutal. Right. (laughs) I imagine. Oh, I feel sorry for you. The pain already of that. Um, and, and I suppose it's quite nice for you now as well that you are successful, you know, and as much as your dad was successful and is successful, it also must be nice for you to go, yeah, all right, I took this on and, you know, I, I am, I'm doing well. I, I wouldn't have done it, with obviously, without him. I mean, he built a great platform, but yes, I did take it and, and developed it further, so I'm, I'm happy for that too. Excellent. You know, yeah. it, you, need, yeah. you need a start in life, I think, and, and that's my sort of... Uh, philosophy behind uh the film schools here is to give others a start in life as well and mm. that, that thing you know that i received i i feel like i gotta give back to other people which is why i work with first-time directors like you and you know give people the opportunity i have great gifts given to me the studio the personnel 14 years of experience in the crew here and i i feel like you know you got to pay that forward I love that. It's something we say on the podcast all the time. You know, if you do well, send the elevator back down. And and I mean it. And yeah. this is why I set up the podcast because there wasn't, re- I didn't feel for me when I started making The Dare, there was nothing like this. There wasn't people talking to people like you and explaining how things happen. So I had to do it myself the hard way. And that's, I, that's for me, The Dare was a huge inspiration to go and do something like this and give back. And you doing that with Film Forge. Let's talk about it because I think it's a brilliant platform you've set up and the fact that you know again it's out of your pocket it's not you know this isn't funded this is something you're going i want to help new filmmakers i want to build up crews who are talented and skilled at what they do so you can employ them talk us about tell us about film forge so basically the philosophy actually that behind this school is actually really my uncle's philosophy because he was big and when we first came to Bulgaria, I'd say it was about 15% local crew. Mm-hmm. And that's Danny, yeah? Yeah, that's Danny. 85% foreign crew. And over the years switched and now it's like 95% local crew and 5% foreign, foreign crew. You know, we can make movies here with, with entire local crew. And so, you know... The philosophy behind it is just to give to people the, the knowledge, the inspiration, the, the know-how, the ideas. And now we've got, you know, 14 to 20 years experience here. Now let's pay that forward. So the, the way we structure our film school is we have mentors that have this much experience and we bring in students from all over the world and we give them the opportunity to learn from them succession. Mm-hmm. So everything is hands-on. It's intensive. And the thing about what we're trying to do is we're trying to get you onto set as soon as possible. So we don't want you to go four years into uh, film school, then come here and do an internship, then get it. We want to give you a, like a five-day blast of knowledge, then put you onto set with that department 
and get you working right away. So it's just a doorway. And then it's up to you to decide if it's what you wanted, uh, what you're into, and then, and then how, how far you go in that direction. If you're coming from overseas, you can stay here. We have accommodation on, on the studio lot, or if you're local, you can just come in and work. Five day intensive, you end with a real life project, and then you get put into a department. We guarantee you at least one day of work. That's guaranteed. Then, wow. then it's up to the department head to keep you. So wow. if, you're, if you're there and you just spend your mm -hmm. time on your cell phone, chances are you won't stay. But mm -hmm. if you're there, you're, you're working hard, most chances you'll, you'll stay and you'll get to learn more. I love it. It's very similar to being on set itself. If you're stood around on your mobile phone, if you're working as a PA or as a, an assistant to someone, that's no good. You know what I mean? We won't, you won't come back again. We're just like, yeah, they, they were, you, you've got to think on your feet and you've got to be proactive. And again, don't be annoying or get in anyone's way, but at the same time, be attentive, listen, learn. That's why you're there. Yeah. That's great. And, and on set, the pressure is so much higher because if you have an actor there and you're paying him, I don't know, $10, 15000000 million to be on set, every hour they're on set is worth a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So everyone's got to be on, on point, on, on the ball. And, you know, you, if you were an offstander and you walked onto a set and you're like, oh, all these people are just milling about eating craft. What mm -hmm. the hell are they doing? You know, right. but if you understand how a set works, like your pyro guy could be sleeping in the corner. But mm -hmm. when, when, when you need smoke or when you need fire, he's up, the smoke's up mm -hmm. and then he's back to sleep. Yes. If he's going to go and do something else and help the lighting guy and not do his job, then the lighting guy will have nothing to help the grip guy. So you have to know how a set works. And that's what the course really teaches you is how to do the part that you need to do and do that part well. So yes. if you did our makeup course and, and they asked for a number five brush, You'll be able to get that right away. Not go to, to there and say, "What what is a C thirty four? There's there's that old joke about the film industry when when a right a grip gets get get C thirty four. You know what that is? It's a long. Well, we call it a long stand here. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. So get me. It's actually a clothespin. Oh, is it the C thirty four is a clothespin? All oh, right. That's the joke they play on their their trainees. You know, get me a C thirty four. Yeah, send them around. Yeah. Right. Yes. yeah. Yes. And the, and the, everyone else in the crew understand they go, Oh God, yeah. he's got, uh, right. Yeah. He's annoying. Oh, she's annoying. Yeah. Right. Let's leave him there for a bit. Yeah. Just, just wait there. I'll, I'll come back to that. Yeah. In a bit. <laughs> and that's kind of like, uh, the, the brutal reality of what a film set is versus where you go to a film school where they're just, Oh, that's a great idea. Let's develop that. Let's brilliant, you know, on set. Mm. That's not the way it works. It's so true. And it's fascinating that being on set, you learn so much more than talking about it. It's just an incredible thing where you learn. The more you can be on set, the more you can just watch, the more you learn. And this mm -hmm. course is perfect for that. So people can go on filmforge.org. Uh, we'll put a link to this in the show notes as well. So uh, it's 500 euro, uh, just basic for the week. And then 250 if you have accommodation. Uh, pricing is just based on what it costs us to put it together. So we have the studio services. We have the mentor who we pay a full rate because otherwise they would choose a movie job instead of committing to our, of course you've got, yeah. so yeah. I want to make sure that we get the best people and they're committed. Uh, we were super lucky. We just did a, a course for intro to film with Martin Campbell. Mm, Martin and, Campbell, James Bond director in that Martin Campbell. Oh yeah. Yeah. That wow. Martin Campbell, yeah. Oh, wow. So it was, it was great. So we get that kind of caliber of people. I wouldn't say Martin Campbell's going to do all our courses, but we just 
got him because he's working with us on the movie. As I said, it's a living, breathing studio. So you get access to things and people that you wouldn't normally get access to in a film school. And don't get me wrong, I'm not dissing any film schools. There's a place in a, for that as well. You need to understand the theory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do. Yeah. But the practice is where you can apply the theory. And a lot of times in academia, it's maybe 10 years old at the time you get it because it's been published and vetted and peer reviewed and all that stuff. Whereas movies we make, you know, they've done it one way, let's do it bigger, better. Yeah. If I had a dollar for every director that told me that said, I want to do something different that no one's ever seen before that ended up exactly what everyone's seen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'd be very rich. I'd yes. be very, yeah. yeah. It'd be very rich. So tell us about the, courses coming up because you've just done makeup you've just done grip and wardrobe uh lighting and production design uh kes kes bonnet is going to teach production design uh, she's great she's uh doing martin campbell's next movie as, mm-hmm. as well lots of uh lots of uh knowledge to share after that we'll be doing a producing course with myself and rob an acting course aspiring actors uh, following that, we'll be doing locations. And then then we have an amazing two-week course for grip, lighting, wardrobe, and makeup. But we're going to end it with a concert of a very famous artist. So the first week will be getting to know the equipment. And the second week will be actually putting it in play to produce a live show uh, with our partners, Fashion Days. And uh, there we'll be doing uh, a whole week of prep for a live show. This famous artist, which you'll probably learn pretty soon hint hint they're in expendables if you can put the two together <laughs> but uh obviously i gotta sign that contract in the next couple of days to make sure he's there but there'll be 30 uh musicians with them wow dancers. there'll be a huge event it'll be on the roman set it's october 9th mm-hmm. and uh if you sign up for the course you'll get to participate in preparing for it and learn all about that side of things because there's a whole world of life and work there as well. A lot of work in live performances, which is coming back in a huge way. And, you know, you can obviously be a lighting engineer for a movie, but also lighting engineers are very useful in the live show. So we're trying to offer that kind of opportunity there. And we'll be partnering up with a bunch of companies that do live shows as well. So they they can also, basically, we're just trying to get you jobs. That's mm-hmm. what we're doing. We're trying yeah. to open up avenues in, in the industry. We were so lucky in the movie industry that the live shows shut down because we were able to accommodate a lot more projects because there are people that knew what they're doing in in those departments from live shows. So Mm. we're giving back to that uh, industry now. Great. And when does the next course start? When's the date? Every week we start uh, filmforge.org. There'll be a website. The course will just be populated. Uh, Apologize for the website itself. It's not very professionally done. It just displays the information. (laughs) (laughs) Looks right to me. But we're doing so much work and it's, you know, it's one of those things that are on the back burner. So Mm -hmm. it's not a flashy website. But the substance is good and the things you'll learn will get you working. And that's the whole goal is to get you working. Brilliant. When people are pitching to you, like their projects, what things have you seen over the years that filmmakers shouldn't do? 
and things that you go, oh, that was good, that worked? Good, good question. Actually, the most important thing with a pitch is I want to know integrity. And I've I've been in in many pitch sessions in my life. And, um, you know, a screenwriter comes in with a, they get the opportunity to present in front of executives and it's huge. Mm. And their story is about a Croat orphan growing up. They're in a room, they're sitting there and then some sort of intern says, ah, wouldn't it be better if they were Serbian? And any, everything inside the screenwriter dies. <laughs> they say, great idea. Right. Because they just, they're so happy to be in the room. And, right. and you know, if, if anyone knows anything about uh, European history, Croat and Serbian would not be the same thing. But, mm-hmm. but because some intern came up with a good idea and, and the exec said, oh, yeah, great idea. You know, mm. the screenwriter says, great, Serbian it is. And, uh, you know, you got to fight for your story. You, you can't be a pushover in, in, you know, you have to say, no, actually, you know, there's a whole history here and the Croats went through this and the Serbians went through this. And, you know, there's, there's a reason why he was Croat orphan, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so, so I think the most important thing is like fight for your story from the beginning, because mm-hmm. if you're a pushover from the start, you know, you're just going to make a sort of a, what they call European soup where it's like, funds from poland and funds from mm-hmm. latvia and, and now you have no story anymore the story is just bland and uh, yeah very uh, uh i won't say the name of the company but <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i hear what you're saying there it's that it's but where's the fine line because there's a balance when people come in and go no it has to be my way so how do they approach that how do you stand up for what you want the most famous story about that fine line is is Rocky because Sylvester yeah. Stallone refused to let anyone else direct the film and star in the film and write the mm-hmm. film and, and he made Rocky and and you know obviously yeah. now he's all pissed off at the guy who funded him but uh, <laughs> at the time he had, he had he fought for it so there there is no fine line you you have to know where the where you can shift where you can be flexible and where you can't if you lose the integrity of the story then then you can't be flexible but if there's some oh let's change the location so it's easier to film and makes it affordable then Mm. do it know know where the heartbeat of the story know where the 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 thread is and be able to play within there 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 is no fine line if it's a story that you believe in and you should believe in that story at some point you're going to be writing stories on spec you know the first one will take you nine years the next one will take you four years and then the next one will be a month and a month because you've done you're the one that did Mm. that yeah so that's that's where you get the work for hire versus telling a story in your initial pitch. You should have a, you should have a real belief in your story. Brilliant. Great answer. Is there anything people do wrong in those pitches apart from, you know, going, Oh yes, I'll do whatever you say, sir. Is there something else that stands out to you? Obviously passion, obviously story, but in terms of sometimes people can mess up in pitches and it can be difficult. You have to be prepared. You have to know the story better than anyone else in the room. And, and you have to, you have to be there, you know, present. I think the most thing, you know, you know, obviously you get nervous, this is normal, but just be present and being engaged and being aware of, read the room as well. Mm. Understand, you know, where, where's the point where you just got to wake up the exec or uh, <laughs> they fall asleep in your pitch or, you know. Yeah. I remember when I first met you, uh, uh, we, I was in a hotel in Bulgaria. I can't remember which one. Yeah. And you came in and you flip-flops and your t-shirt and your shorts. And I was like, okay, wow. All right, I'm going after it. And you just literally sat down and we had a, such a great chat. At one point you just said, cool, pitch me it. And I remember having to, my mind go, right, don't fuck it up. Be that. But <laughs> you probably already made your mind up. You're probably already in the place of, okay, well, I kind of know what 
I want from this guy from already speaking to him. So yeah. the pitch was kind of irrelevant, right? I, I don't know. I'm thinking that now looking back. Yeah, no, I mean, yes, exactly. I mean, I usually go try to go into any meeting as prepared as well. I mean, it's not just fair to have the person coming into me prepared and you're not prepared. Uh, but yeah, mm -hmm. I have an idea of what I want and already I've done the research before I go into it. I won't just take a meeting off the, off the street because I get so many pitches all the time and I usually redirect them to our development department. So when I've made the decision to meet someone, I'll have known already what, what the meeting's about. There's an agenda in place. Yeah. And I could tell that, you know, especially now being in a lot of pitches and in a lot of meetings and, you know, looking back, you totally knew what you were doing. And I find that fascinating that you, it's not, it's not like you had the power because you did. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I, I mean that in a positive way. You weren't, yeah, exactly. Woo you, but you, you, you treat it so well. You never came across arrogant. You never made me feel small or, or insignificant or my project doesn't matter. or I don't matter. You made me feel important. You made me matter, even though I was still, and I'm very grateful, but I was still in that point of please like the project, please like me type stage. Yeah. Mm. So, so I've had a varied life and I've done many things. I've been in construction. I was a cook. I've done many things and I've been at the top and the bottom of many situations. And I notice in life, you can be, it's a roller coaster. One day you can have all the power and the next day you can, have, you can be the janitor and, mm -hmm. and they're equally as important because without clean toilets, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how much power you have. Yeah. Actually, I have a sort of funny story. I was working construction in London at age 18 and I was in the decorating crew. So I was in charge of pulling lead paint off windows, basically. Glamorous. Uh, the plumber had uh, blocked up the toilet. No, the plaster had blocked up the toilet with a nice, huge... A huge one. Like yeah. a... Right, and a dirty... Right. I remember putting a trash can on my arm. No. Having to go into the toilet and, and pull. And as I was getting deeper and deeper in the drain, the water started leaking down the top of the trash can. Of course. And, and I was thinking, you know, maybe life is, maybe I should be doing something else in life. Yeah. Can life get shitter than this? <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Th th that's an amazing experience to have shit going down your arm. And, and mm -hmm. it really teaches you that, that, you know, no matter where you are in life, you know, shit will go down your arm at some point. <laughs> Should be on a t-shirt. Don't put yourself, yeah, don't put yourself too high up on the totem pole there. Yeah, no, that's, that is lovely to hear. And like you say, you, you had been through it and yeah. And I, and I, and I respected that a lot when I met you and it was, it was really humbling and nice. You know, you didn't come in all fancy and you didn't, you didn't, you know, you didn't, you could have come in in a suit and made me feel shitty. I don't know why there was just something about it. It was so natural and we, we got on. Yeah. And it, it was, it was. A pleasant experience and i walked away from that going oh my god this would be amazing to have you exec my film but also to film it here yeah. you know in the studio which like i said and we did love and we did yeah we did so what do you you look for then within projects i look for passion uh and i'm mm -hmm. just working with a, another director richard hughes who's the younger brother of patrick hughes on, on mm -hmm. the gangway and and he's just got so much passion for it so i know that's gonna come come through the camera if you have if you have passion, mm. you, have, you have emotion, you know, you can have amazing big action sequences and they don't mean anything. And you can have like one small fight on the, on a car that's moving and, and you're punching the guy down. And there's a lot, lot of uh, passion in that scene. And, and the scene I'm actually referring to is actually Indiana Jones with Harrison Ford. Yes. Getting, you know, I thought it might be. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's an amazing scene because it's just, 
you know, two people having a fight and, and the roads moving be beneath him. But mm -hmm. the things that, that Harrison Ford does with his face and the expressions and stuff, he, he sells it so well. Mm. Yeah, because he's not giving I am serious here. He's like, Jesus, I, I feel at my depth, but I can also win this fight. Yeah. And that's what makes you believe in him. Because uh, you're like, please do well, please. Because it's not like, oh, you're a robot and you just smash through everyone. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you look for passion. But in terms of actual projects, do you like projects to be come to you totally formed you know like the the day was pretty much totally formed in a way yeah we tweet bits played it but it's formed yeah i mean it helps a lot i mean scripts on their own or nothing directors on their own or nothing mm -hmm. cast on their own nothing financing on its own it's nothing it's all the the pieces together that make a movie mm -hmm. yeah the the more you're you're prepared, the more piece of the puzzle you get together, the easier it is, you know, to make. And this is also to plug New Vienna a little bit, because I've recommended it to so many people. I loved filming there. I had the best time. Why should people like choose to shoot in a studio as opposed to on location? Why look at somewhere like New Vienna Studios as a, a, a film studio? Well, I mean, location versus studio is an interesting choice because, you know, do you build mm -hmm. uh, or or do you go on location? Obviously, everybody wants to make it as real as possible. So location seems an obvious choice. But how do you control an environment? Mm -hmm. How much do you do in the environment? If you want to blow up the whole building, you know, will a location allow you to do that? Or do you have to build? And then you have to think of all the other components like, okay, we're having a building. We have some gunfire, so we need to put squibs in the wall. You know, we have some stunt work. We need to rig the stuntman from somewhere. We have to have a ratchet, but we have to have the lighting hit the right spot and uh, so a studio obviously makes life easier and many people who film on studio are very grateful to have a studio because the environment is controlled you're not dealing with extras that are walking on the street or road blockages or mm -hmm. all those little things and then then how much of the work is being done there and do you have to return uh, the question is like sometimes do i have a cast who's very limited so do i pre-light eight stages mm -hmm. and just move them through or mm -hmm. Can they come through on a show? So, so many decisions have to be made before you decide whether it's on location or studio. But why, why New Boyana above other studios? I would say it's it's kind of got everything that you need there. It's got a lighting department, a grip department, special effects, all the little components are there and easily accessible. And the people are well qualified. There's great crews with a lot of experience. Just don't ask the grip department to read the script and like it. But <laughs> it's <they're laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just had a, a recent experience where a director did ask, you know, before the meeting with the grip, if they could read the script. I'm like, what for? <laughs> what, what are they going to say to you? <laughs> you know, I really recommend the dolly push in, in this scene and, you know, <laughs> they're there to do a job. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's what I learned as well is some... And I found that fascinating on the day where people, I was like, why aren't they as invested in me why, uh, as me? Why aren't people, you know, going out their way to do extra? Because it's, like you say, it is a job, not for everyone, but certainly it can be. It's like, like I'm here to do a job. Tell me where to lay a track. Tell yeah. me where to put a light. Because yeah. they're sort of, other people are above them telling them how to do that. Yeah, and what, what would their opinion really matter if the grip guy comes and says, you know what, I'm not quite in, in alignment with the dialogue here. I really, I mean, what, you look at him like, what? <laughs> Who are you? But, you know, he's there to do a job and do it well. And the better, you know, you're prepared, the better job he'll do. Because he's I've done many more movies than you have. Mm -hmm. 300 movies the grip guy has done. So he knows how to push a dolly mm -hmm. better than you do. Yep. So 
tell him how fast to push it and where to push it to, and he'll be happy. And that is a, that is a lesson for filmmakers. If you've not been on set before, not worked in a studio system, is it does work that way. It's and it's okay. It's all right as long as you tell them what you want and your vision, and that's okay. They don't have to read the script. Yeah. Absolutely. I like it when they do, but that's just me. Uh, you want them to be invested because they might work that extra hour for you. They're invested. They will be invested if you treat them well. They'll yes. be invested if you're fair with them and they'll give you mm -hmm. an extra hour when you need it. If you're kind to them, they'll be invested as a person, not your story. Your story is your story and you're there to direct it and you're there to do the best you can with your story. They don't have an opinion on your story. And they shouldn't treat them well and, and, you know, make sure you respect them, keep them safe and don't put them in danger. And, and you'll, they'll, they will die for you. Mm. Not literally, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, because you've just put them in danger. <laughs> I told you not to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, what about tips for producing then, uh, producing movies, people who are looking to then maybe made an indie and then what, might want to do something on a studio system or studio level going up? So we, we have a producing course coming up on FilmForge with myself and Rob Van Orden, and there will be loads of tips. The most important tip, I think, uh, with producing uh, is... I learned from someone else is other people's money. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Don't, don't put your money into the project because you will never produce another one. <laughs> you, have to, yep. you have to learn. Obviously, uh, being a trusted producer means you can deliver a movie. So you'll have to have a sign up from a bond and, and uh, a bank. So mm -hmm. you have to know what you're doing. And no one, will, as I said, lets you make a movie until you make a movie. The tip for producing is supporting and providing everything you can to the director because Ultimately, as a producer, you're bringing all the things that the director needs to do, right? Once you've picked a director, you've picked a story you're passionate about, and you've you've put all the pieces together, support the director. Don't get in their way until after the audience screening, right? And that's very challenging because mm. as a producer, you also get passionate about the project and you also have a vision of the project. But then why did you bring the director on board? If you had that strong a vision, why didn't you direct? And I've seen it many times where a producer and a director just cannot get along. They have a different vision of the movie. And, and it becomes a nightmare because the crew is just standing around watching these two people arguing and wondering. Yeah, that's not good. Uh, if you do get into an argument with your director, do it privately, one-on-one, -on -one, not in front of the crew. Never step in front of the director in, for the crew because they won't know who to listen to. They know, mm. they'll listen to the producer who's writing the checks and signing off on the deal memos. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, they'll listen to them because they know, but they'll lose respect for the director immediately. And uh, again, this is from experience. I've seen this happen so many times where producers are so passionate. They've spent nine years bringing this thing together. They finally found the director they want to work with. They're on set and then they start directing the movie. Mm -hmm. The point yeah. where the movie's running from its day one it's time to let go and just watch the process. And, and if you're involved, uh, it should be subtle. Mm, what great advice. I remember my first one I produced, I, I struggled exactly because I didn't, you know, I was like, oh, I'll get to be creatively involved in this. I'll be, mm -hmm. and I remember just going, oh God, I can't be, oh God, this is, I can't, I can't, you know what I mean? Cause you go, Oh, this would be interesting. No, nope, I had to shut up and stay in the back and, and learn, yeah. learn. Don't do that. It's their job. They want to do it. You know, you can go to the director at the end of the day and say, Hey, I think we're missing coverage here. Or you give advice mm. or you call yes. them the day when it's convenient. But remember with the director, they're getting questions from the wardrobe, the, you know, the makeup lady, the SFX, 
the grip and then you're telling them to do something different and they've prepped for eight weeks before you even got there and you know it'll just be, you'll just and they'll want to tell you to fuck off but they can't yeah yeah <laughs> but it's deep secretly inside they're like the fucking producer keeps bothering me and he keeps telling me how to direct absolutely super super advice three extras yeah exactly yeah be extra producer man producer thing girl producer person can you just go be an extra what yeah, exactly. uh, okay now, ultimately a lot of producers would be more useful as extras than directors on the set yes yeah no it's true uh, and it's it's like say wonderful advice oh good good uh, person i marry a line producer by the name of andrew mann mm -hmm. andrew mann you're awesome but he said all producers must suffer yes and we do <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. There's not much glory in it, is there, producing? There isn't glory. You're, you're just that useless on set. Because as a producer, you are useless on set. You're, you're there to get everything ready for set. And then you should be as useless as possible. It means you've done your job, but you're often fixing problems or getting other stuff done or trying to find money or trying to fire or hire people. Yeah, it's never fun. Never yeah. fun, yeah. Never but fun. Especially if you haven't found all the money for the project and you're in the middle of the project. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you can't finish the project, but you have to pretend you can. Mm-hmm. Yep. Best advice, have all the money in place before you start the project. Yes. There it is. Yeah. It makes it much easier. That's for sure. It's just when investors pull out uh, after you've started shooting, that that's the problem. The money doesn't show up, which I've heard many times. Good, good point. You know, a lot of times you get, you get these investors that are sort of uh, are more loan sharks than investors. Mm -hmm. And they promise the world. And they pull out or the funding is late and then you're scratching your head wondering how to make ends meet and you're having these complicated conversations with with a special effects department on why you can't order materials for them. Yeah, so so my advice there is be two weeks ahead of everything. So if anything stops, you're two weeks ahead, the funding should be in place. Make sure that the investors are on board, sign the production service agreement to be two weeks ahead. Mm -hmm. If you're two weeks ahead, you have two weeks to react. And you can tell the crew, listen, we're shutting down. The investor pulled down. Here's the final payment. Don't owe anyone money. Yeah, I love that. What can you tell us about your latest films or Expendables 4? Anything you can tell us would be interesting. Yeah, so the next films we have, are we're just about to start shooting Red Sonja on Monday. Next, we're going to be doing, uh, well, we have two, two projects on, on the go. Uh, Subservience, which is probably with Scott Dale. We're going to go October. And then, yeah, next next year, I hope to get going on Gangway, which I mentioned with Richard Hughes. I'm really excited about that because it's like, as I said, point break on the back of trains. Yeah. Uh, hopefully Giles will work with us again at some point. On I mean, you'll have to twist my arm. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't been able to get a call with him lately. Yeah, it's crazy. If it's so busy, I've a studio. My yeah. first producer who, what? Yeah, uh, Disney, no. uh, Disney's calling me. And yeah, sorry. Yeah, they've, they're Disney. Sorry, I can't. Yep, yeah, who? <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, but yeah, what, what I'm most excited about at the moment is really, and I, I know I'm just sound like a salesman, but the, the concept of Film Forge and getting it up and going. Because mm. that's that's going to be huge. And, and hopefully one day I'll be working for someone I trained. I will be a, what a dream. What a dream. Excellent. Well, listen, Yadav, thank you so much. Uh, for taking the time to chat to us this has been an absolute joy and actually just giving me what i thought was what happened with the dare and giving that answer as well from your side and perspective and i think it's been very very worth it not just for me i'm, I'm grateful to to have met you and i'm so proud of you to to have taken the dare and, and made a career out of it and, and what you're doing with the filmmakers podcast 
just sharing that knowledge is is great. It's a, it's a useful thing to have in the world. And, and thank you. No, 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 thank you. Oh, no, no thank seriously. You. No, no, thank you. <laughs> I love it. One day, all this will be yours. <laughs> <laughs> one, one day, my son, all this <laughs> will be yours. You can take over the podcast, have it. Uh, no, thank you. And listen, you can go out there and make your film. You can make a studio film as I did. You can do whatever you like in this industry. You can go on Film Forge and you can learn so much. Do it, make it happen. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it is your duty to send the elevator back down. We will see you all next Tuesday. As always, thank you so much for listening. Yarev Lerner, thank you. Thank you. Spasiba. <laughs> Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Um.